So as we come to chapter 10, Moses reviewed how Israel was unfaithful, the nation, when they worshiped the golden calf there at Mount Sinai, and he broke the original set of the Ten Commandments. God gave him a second set of the Ten Commandments, and he wrapped that up. And in verse 12, we get an interesting phrase that really sets up a little cluster of scriptures. There's so much there, but we're going to look at some macro thoughts, and some of it's consistent or, I don't want to say repetitive, but builds upon things we've been looking at because there is a lot of reaffirmation of things as we go through the law, and we're going to see that here tonight. But in verse 12, Moses is speaking through the Holy Spirit guiding him. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commend you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is to this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast. Take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. And of course... Our context is the nation of Israel. It's their covenant. They're in a covenant relationship with God. We know God made this covenant known as the Mosaic Covenant, but the previous covenant was the Abrahamic Covenant. And in that Abrahamic Covenant that God made to Abraham 400 years before this, that from him, his descendants would come this nation. And God did exactly what he said he would do. So after Abraham passed away, and then there was Isaac, the son of promise, and then Jacob... And then Jacob's 12 sons, well, the 12 sons through Joseph, we know the story from Genesis, most of us, that they ended up there in Egypt. And so when the book of Genesis ends, there's 70 of them there in Egypt. Now, you come forward 400 years from that time, and they're a nation, they're slaves in Egypt, and God delivers them, which, of course, is what the book of Exodus is all about. And they're a multitude. There are probably at least one, one and a half million people, because the men over 20 that were counted in the census were 600,000. So that's the men over 20. That doesn't include the women, the children, and so on and so forth. So God has kept his word. He kept his promises. And so that last little exhortation in verse 22 is God has multiplied you exactly like he said he would. And it kind of, so it's bookended with verse 12 saying, what does the Lord require of you? Because this is what the Lord has done for you. And, and it's just sort of this panoramic macro statements within all this. But that phrase, what does the Lord your God require of you, should jump out at us tonight. And again, the context was the nation of Israel and their covenant, where they had the moral law as an individual. They had the civil law for how they treated their neighbors and got along with amongst themselves and the surrounding nations. And then they had the religious law with how they showed their expressions of faith and worship toward God as he prescribed it with the Levitical priesthood, the feast like Passover and Pentecost and those things. So they're going to go in. As we think about this now coming forward to the church, as we're gathered here tonight, May 1st, 2021, well, we're the new covenant. We know that we're the fullness. And again, these are shadows of things to come, but the fullness is Christ coming. Everything up to the time that Christ came points to Christ coming. 
So as we look at this, we're, lo we're looking back. It's sort of like, I gotta use a pro surfing analogy, but a couple weeks ago they had a pro surf contest at Nairbean in Australia. And in 1980, I competed on the world tour at Nairbean. It was the richest contest in the world at that time, it was a surf about. And I had one of the best heats in my career. I, it was a tie with Sean Thompson, the world champion. We did a surf off and I lost, and I deserved to lose, but it was one of the best heats I ever had when I lost to Sean Thompson. And I had the old American flag on my wetsuit, and that's when the Australians dominated pro surfing. It was just a, a different time. But it, it was, you know, it's the highest level of the sport, and there was thousands of people there. So a couple of weeks ago, by random chance through COVID, the pro tours in Nairobin this year for the first time in decades. And of course, now you can, you don't really have TV anymore, right? You stream everything. So we're streaming the World Surf Tour, and we're watching Nairobin, and there's Gabriel Mendina, like, doing, like, this full spin in the air, like eight feet above the wave. And I thought, man, what a difference 40 years make. Because we're just like doing barrels and cutbacks. And here's Gabriel Medina doing these like acrobatic full spins in there. And I thought, well, you know, it looks like time passed me by. <laughs> and that's what happens. Because my surfing in the 80s at Narrabeen looks like black and white TV, like an I Love Lucy rerun. And Gabriel Mendina is like live streaming, streaming like something of a whole nother, whole nother thing in surfing. And that's what we have when we come here. When we look at this, this is not Joey at Narrabeen, but it's not black and white TV either, but it's the way it was for them. So it's important tonight as we look at this text, what it means for us as the church. What is our application? Because when God says to Israel through Moses, what does the Lord require of you? We need to say, okay, since all scripture is profitable and given by God and God breathed, then we need to look at this as believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, and say, okay, what does the Lord require of us? And how do we see Jesus in this? And how do we see the application for the church in general through every generation, the church here, worship generation, and our relationship with the body of Christ worldwide and the people around us in our country and in other countries? And you can see by reading the text, it, you don't need a degree in rocket science to understand the basic applications that God is saying here, they're still fully applicable for the body of Christ and who we are. And it's also the legacy of what the church does wherever we go to glorify Christ and bring Christ to people's lives. So the first thing, you know, what does the Lord God require of you? People think that, like, well, what does God want of me? Well, in this context, we know as a whole we need to be saved by faith. They were saved by faith. Looking ahead, we're saved by faith, looking back to Christ on the cross and what he did. So when a person responds by faith, with faith in Jesus, to the gospel message and receives Christ, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple of the Lord right now. And we know, we've already seen this, that when Jesus was asked about the law of God here, summarized, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is pretty much what we just read. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself, which pretty much we just read right here. The first thing is, a summary of these statements, and I'll, I'll read them to you, and I put them together as one thing. It says, so what does the Lord require of you? To fear the Lord, that is, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus taught us to pray that way. To walk in all of his ways. Okay, that's to obey him. To love him. To love the Lord. Okay, we've been talking a lot about that. We love him because he first loved us. By this we know love that Christ died for us when we were yet sinners and enemies of God. To serve the Lord your God. Okay, so to fear, to walk, to love, to serve with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, that's an interesting distinction, of course, the heart and soul, because when your heart's broken, you feel it in your heart, not your head. 
but your soul is kind of who you are overall. Like, you know, we're, we're spirit, mind, and body. So it's always kind of tricky when you try and find a distinction in between like the, the heart and the soul. Because our heart is our heart. And we, we're saved in our heart. We believe in our heart. We're not, we don't have intellectual conversions. We have faith in our heart that we believe the gospel. And we're told since the Lord abides within us, if the spirit comes within us, like literally it comes in us. And when God speaks to you, he speaks to your heart. Like he's like, you can feel grieved in your heart. Like when you're grieving the spirit, you feel the grief in your heart. When you hear something that's very grievous, you feel it in your heart, not in your head. But yet we are who are, we are in our intellect. Like we are who we are. Like we're, we're a person. We express ourselves. Like my thoughts are being expressed to you right now as we're going over God's word. So we, we think. And so like, you, I think. That's Russian for I think. So we think. We, you know, we have thoughts and we think. So now we're told that we're going to love the Lord. What does the Lord require of us? That we, you know, we fear him. We walk with him. We obey him. We do these things. We serve him. We love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul. So what the dividing distinction line is between heart and soul is the one thing we can certainly know for sure is the word all. That's the word that gets my attention. All. Like all. All of who we are. Not some of who we are. And we've talked about this recently. I had to text Alex Lopez in Texas last week, our, our pastor Alex, and he was down in Texas with Hector and all our good friends that are down there as well. But I watched randomly, I watched ESPN 30 for 30 on Al Davis, the Raider, you know, Raider Nation, and it was Al Davis versus NFL. It was a really, really fascinating thing. But Al Davis was always like, you know, if you know the Raiders, like, just win. Now, I'm a Charger fan, so me watching something on Al Davis is like, oh, my goodness, I'm really watching something on Al Davis. But his whole thing was just win. And there's something really got my attention because he changed NFL football. He won the lawsuits to move L.A. to Los Angeles and then back wherever. Now everyone moves around. and It's a billion-dollar industry, and Al Davis had a lot to do with it. But they're interviewing Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, and he said something very interesting about Al Davis. He said, I learned from Al Davis one thing is super important. You need to bring the juice. That's it. Because, you know, being a former Olympic coach, I'm like, oh, bring the juice. I never had that one. That's a good one. If I was coaching the Olympics in a few months, which I'm not, of course, but if I was, I would say to Chris and Moore, hey, girl, bring the juice. You know, I look at John John and go like, hey, John John, hey, bring the juice. I like that phrase. I really like that phrase. But I don't coach the Olympics, but I do pastor the church. And I do prophetically speak to the body of Christ. So let me say tonight, in layman's terms, when we come to Jesus, what does the Lord require of us? Bring the juice. Bring the juice. Don't wake up all callous and indifferent to the things of the glory of God, the things he's done for us, the cross, the resurrection, empty tomb. Look at the cross and bring the juice. Look at the empty tomb and bring the juice. Read about the day of Pentecost and see tongues of fire and bring the juice. When we serve others, don't look around the room for someone else to do it. Get on our knees like Jesus did with the apostles and bring the juice. Bring the A-game. That's what it means. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And I would that you were hot or cold. And we understand that the Lord puts a huge premium on passion and zeal. There in the Old Testament, we read about this with Phineas. When the Lord made a very unique covenant with Phineas, why did he make that covenant with Phineas? Because he was zealous for the Lord. He had zeal for the Lord. He was willing to do something very difficult that no one else was willing to do. And he did it, and he stopped the plague of the Lord. So what does the Lord require of us? Well, yeah, we walk before the Lord. We fear the Lord. We love the Lord and all these things. With our heart, with our heart and, our, and our soul, 
but with all of our heart and soul. So we're reminded here on this first thing, we need to be all in. You can't follow Jesus and be kind of in. Jesus says, if you come after me, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's, there's no half in. It's kind of like high school football. Football's a violent sport, of course. So we've already used football, so we'll use it again. And I was a chaplain for many years with Calvary Chapel football. And, and uh, you just can't, you know, you can't just play football for like for fun. You can do the tennis team or the golf team. Baseball can have collisions. You can get hurt. And basketball, yeah. But I mean, football's violent. It's violent. You cannot play high school football half-hearted. And some people play high school football and they want to have the jersey on and the number and be on the sidelines, but they don't really want it in the game. And you can kind of tell that, like you just kind of like, oh, well, like this, you know? And you usually weed all that out at freshman level, by the way. You usually weed out the football players. They're like, oh, I'm going to tell, uh, and then when you really get, you get knocked on your keister and you lose or win, everything's like, I'm not sure I want to play football again. I figured out in two days when I tried out for football. Bill Yelling pretty much knocked me out on shoulder pad to shoulder pad. I was like, I'm done with this. This is not for me, okay? You could never do it half-hearted. And you could see being a chaplain, and particularly a couple of years, Calvary had a team that never won games. They had a, a couple winless seasons. And, man, it was hard. And you just, you just couldn't do it if you didn't really love to play football. Because on a losing team with a losing record, if you really want to play football, you'll play hard and you'll play all in, and it'll show. But if you don't want to get out there, you don't want to get out there. And you just can't do it half-heartedly. You cannot play high. The whole process of preparing a football team in the springtime and then in August, if you don't know high school football, is to weed out who really wants to play football and who doesn't. And you know, the whole purpose of trials and tribulations with the kingdom of God is to weed out who's really in and who's not. We're going to find out who's got the juice when you get lit up by the dark side. We'll find out how much juice you have to get back in there. My son Luke loved football. Of course, you all know Luke is super passionate about everything he does. He never does anything half-hearted. Here's a high school football game. Jeremy and I were up in the booth doing the PA system. He was returning to kickoffs. So the only time I've seen him laid out. He got hit so hard, that ball elevated like 40 yards. He fumbled the ball like 40 yards in there, and it landed midfield. <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever, and he was on his back. They brought him to the sidelines. I go, Luke, you okay? He's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because he loved football. He was right back out there. Actually scored a couple. That was against Bolsa Grande. He scored a couple touchdowns in that game. He was good. You know, I mean, how many fingers I'm holding up? You know, that kind of thing. But he really wanted to play. See, life has a weeding out process. There's bosses that will try and weed you out to see whether or not you're really going to do the job, right? We know that. You got to have the juice. We got to be all in. And there's nothing about Jesus Christ, again, the cross, the empty tomb, the day of Pentecost, the promises of God. There's nothing here that's soft or weak. Now, we're compassionate. We're going to get to that and empathetic. But there's nothing about serving the Lord and being a follower of Christ that is half-hearted. Again, Jesus never said, come follow me and I'll make you a churchgoer. He said, follow me and be my disciple. And we just quoted this last week where it says in John, when he said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you can't be my disciple. And everyone's like, but now that's like, that's really weird for us. So, and many withdrew because the saying was what? Hard. See, when you're all in with, when you, what does the Lord require of us? That we love him with all of our heart and soul. And that means we're in it. We get laid out, we're back in the game. Or we're thinking about the game. In fact, the year, the, that same year, Luke did get concussed. 
And the game he scored four touchdowns with Laguna, he was concussion. And the next game the next week was the biggest game in Calvary's history in 20 years. They had a chance to win the league against Costa Mesa, and Luke couldn't play because he was concussed. I'll tell you what he did. He was on the sidelines praying with and encouraging every one of his teammates. He found a way to be in the game when he wasn't in the game. Bring the juice. Just because that didn't work out that way doesn't mean we give up with the Lord. Just because he didn't open this door doesn't mean we just walk away from every door. All, all, all of our heart and soul. So it's a good reminder as we begin the second third of 2021 on May 1st. It's a good reminder that it's all. What does the Lord require of us? All. He's weeding out what doesn't really want to be in his church. He's weeding out the people that can't take a hit for the team. He's weeding out the people that can't handle being heckled or rejected on a road game. He's weeding them out. And we don't want to be weeded out. We want to gut it out so we can be a part of the greatness of what God has in the future for his church. It's a weeding out process. That's really what what goes on. You think of all the people that follow Jesus, in the end, there's 11 in the upper room, and the one that left has betrayed him. And it's been well said, the closer you get to the cross, the less followers there are for Jesus. 5,000 to feed him? Sure, great. Coming to the garden? 12. Coming right by him with drops of blood in his prayer? Three. At the cross? How many disciples were at the cross with Jesus? One. One. So let's make sure we're the one. Let's go high ratio per capita in WG. All of our heart, all of our soul with Jesus. That's what the Lord requires of us. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian from Germany, said, when Jesus bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die to ourselves. I thought ministry would be kind of fun at first when I went on staff at Vista. Like, oh, this cool, sir, people do all these things. No, people attack you. People crucify you. It's a pretty unpleasant experience to be crucified by people you're trying to serve. But that's what they do. And it took a while for me to realize, no, this is all about me dying to myself. And this is like a video game that's never going to end. We're just going to keep going through layers and layers and layers to be refined, humbled, broken, remolded, reshaped, that I can be a little more useful down the stretch than I was last month or last year, and I can be once and for all useful when I step into eternity. All is all. And if Laodicea is that last day's church, that's a warning to the church around the planet right now. Be ye hot or be ye cold, but do not be lukewarm. Now, the second thing that the Lord requires of us, we see, is to have a teachable spirit. Now, now, of course, it did say for your own good that we would be all in with the Lord. Is it not for your own good? But then he says, okay, so this is a strong exhortation. This is what the Lord requires. So, but it is not for your own good. But now, let's think about this. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also earth and all that's in it. Yeah, when we're serving the Lord, we're serving God of the universe. All of it. All the science we understand of the universe. All the science we understand of the microscopic world and the macro world. It's all there. Anything that we can understand that's incredible to how we can put a rocket around the moon or something or land a lunar module on the moon, all that we understand, it's just all part of the science of how God made the universe and how he made us in his image and his glory to even figure stuff like that out. So when we think about it, we're serving the God whose highest, uh, the heavens and the highest heavens belong to the Lord. All that's in the earth. 
And not only that, but in their case, the Lord loved them and he had a calling on Abraham's life and he chose them. Now, Jesus said to his followers, you did not choose me, I chose you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So this does remind us we have this in common with Israel. They were chosen as a national entity in a covenant with God, but the church is so much greater than that, not to take away from that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is to the Jew first, then the Gentile, because the gospel is for all nations. And it took... 28 chapters of the New Testament, the book of Acts, to help a Jewish church realize it's an international church. And it's not about the language we speak or the color of our skin or the gender, but it's an international church where there's neither male nor female, nor social status, free nor slave, Jew nor Scythian, right? It's all there. They were one national, they had benefits by being in the nation. It's kind of like a U.S. passport or a British passport. Or an Aussie passport, other countries that might, you might feel good about your passport. You had the benefits of that. That's what they had. It's like having an American passport. I used to show off my American passport when I traveled. I couldn't help it. It's like Bob Seger thing, you know? Born in the USA, right? proud to be an American. You know, I'd, I'd, be like, I'd be in line at Heathrow, I'd be like, what's up, USA? Who wins the most gold medals at the Olympics, huh? huh? Who whooped you in that war a long time ago? Right? And I had that American attitude. There's something really special about American passport. The Jews were the same way with being Jewish. John the Baptist said, don't say we have Abraham as our father. God can raise up these stones to be the descendants of Abraham. See, they made it about national pride. Their flag, you know, they were we're the Jews, man. Yeah, we were always ruled by somebody, but look who's still here. We're the Greeks. We're the Syrians. We're We're the Babylonians. We're still here. I know the Romans are here too, but we've outlasted those other people. We'll outlast them. Is that the truth? Because hasn't Israel outlasted all of them? Only because God promised it. We already saw in the previous chapter, don't say we're great and better than everybody else or we're righteous. We saw that in the last chapter. You're sinners, you're wicked, and you're evil. But because God loves you and he's faithful to you. So here we are as the church, and now we're the the fullest of this because like they were chosen as a nation we're chosen as individuals. Like the Lord reveals himself to us and we respond to it. And, and God has a calling on our life. And how does one know if they're chosen? Well, did you respond? You know, when it comes to time to ask people to the prom, guys never want to ask a girl that's going to say no. You know that, right? So they put out the feelers right there like, hey, can you talk to so-and-so and see if she'd go to the prom with me? No guy wants to... No one wants to go to the prom, doesn't want to go with them, and no one wants to be rejected going to the prom. So the guy's never going to, if the guy knows on the scouting report the girl's going to say no, he's not going to ask her. You're not going to choose her to go to the prom. That's how it is. Why would God choose your neighbor who hates him to go to the prom? Why would God choose your boss who hates him to spend time in eternity with him where it's light and glorious when your boss loves the darkness and hates the light? Why would he choose him? Why would he choose you? Because you want to go to the prom with Jesus. Why would he choose you? Because you want to be where the angels are praising his name with the four living creatures. And that's why he chooses you. And that's why he's working in your life because you want to be on the team and you responded to him choosing you. So God chose Israel. He chose Abraham and he chose the son of promise, Isaac. He chose to bring the nation from him. And here they are now, a million people ready to go in and enter their, all their promises because he chose them. And here we are, the church, May 1st, 2021. And what does God want to do in our lives and through this church? Because he's chosen us. Because we said, yes, 
when he called to ask us if we'd go to the prom. We said yes, and when he said, well, you want to abide in the light, stand in light, walk in light, be in the light, where my presence is the light that's brighter than the sun, you don't need the sun. Do you want to be where the cubed city is like this, the New Jerusalem? Do you want to be where the pearly gates are? Do you want to be where the four living creatures are? And we say, yes and amen, I do. That's where I want my destiny to be. And so here we are, we're his people. He's chosen us, and we're on a winning team. We're on the only team that matters, the kingdom of God. And what he's chosen us to is not to be just one nation, but an expanding kingdom of all nations. And this, of course, is the Great Commission to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations. This is the Great Commission to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's who we are. And churches always die when they retract and lose their vision. But churches grow when they expand and continue to to sow and go out and take steps of faith. And that's who we are. That's what we're doing. That's what we're all about. That's what we want to continue to be about. Now, history shows we probably won't always be like that. But let's pour it on as long as we can. As long as we can ride the wave of what God is doing with us, with you in your life your family of faith, you and your marriage, your, your marriage in faith, this church in faith as we're moving toward 18 years here plus the bonus five years at Calvary Costa Mesa. Let's just keep riding the wave. I got an email from Josh Seal this week. Josh is an amazing young man. You might remember who's that young redhead kid that used to help out at WG at Big Calvary. Amazing. It was at Warriors for Christ Fallbrook High School when God gave us the name Worship Generation. He was the leader of that Christian club in 1999. I was there with Scott Cunningham, and the moment Scott started leading worship, over 100 kids were there, and they all started worshiping. And I thought, this is a worship generation, and God gave us the name. That was through Josh Seal. He set that up, and I was there. I'd been there the year before. There was 30 kids in, in uh, 2000, uh, 1998. There was about 30 kids in that group. And then the next year, it was 99 was 30 kids in 2000, March 2000. It was over 100 kids in that group. And I turned to Scott Cunningham, and of course, we were both 20 years younger back then. And I said, God is doing something really special. It's a worship generation. And that's right when Scott came up and came on staff with Brian and Chuck and all of us there in that, that month of March in 2000, right after the end of the world with Y2K. Remember that one? Yeah. So as I got this email from Josh Seal, he talked about different people that influenced his life. He talked about my influence on his life and said some kind things. But I hadn't heard from him in 15 years. He had been in touch with Sarah Yardley in England, who, of course, is old worship generation as well, sets up the Creation Fest and all that stuff, who we support on a regular basis. But I was thinking, because this is what you do when you've been in ministry for a long time, and I was thinking about worship generation, which essentially is 23 years. At one time, we had, you know, Jeremy Camp at 20, Phil Wickham at 16, Jack was in kindergarten. Scott Cunningham was very young. Tim Chaddock was very young before he'd gone to do all this stuff. We saw these amazing people. Bobby Brown, who comes, he was like, I think he was, was he 19 even? I don't even know. He was so young. And there was a season where we had all the music. We had the three CDs. We did all the stuff. We went to over 400 churches in three years doing outreaches. And then God kind of, that ran its course. And then he brought us here. We've been here for 18 years. And there's a season where we had all the young kids and we did all these things and we planted this church, we planted that church and all these people went out and did these different things. We've always been globally minded, but we had the season and then, and then it just came to a place where we all got older. 
And thank you all you young people who stick around. Makes, makes me look good, thank you. Uh, but that's not why I say that. It's good for the young people to be here because we always want to reach the next generation and equip them. And that's the best thing we can do. In fact, that's what we're told to do in Titus, is to equip the next generation. Now we just do so much globally around the world. So my point is we've had different seasons, and life is filled with different seasons. And we want to keep riding the wave of this season and just keep going and going and going. In your personal life, you have different seasons in your marriage and your singleness and with your kids and grandkids. And, and, and there are all these different seasons, and, and we, we adjust. Like, we adjust to what the Lord's doing. And what we can never do is be stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart particularly in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it looks really bad in the world and looks even worse in the church because stiff-necked is that sort of like, no one tells me what to do. Like, that's, it's like, what? You want, you want some of this? It's like, huh, no, I don't, actually. And, and, and that never looks good on anybody. When you do that, see, there's really two illustrations, right? You get this, you can bow the knee. Or you can do this. And that's like what we do with the Lord every single day. And days become weeks, weeks, months, months, seasons, seasons, years, and years, decades. And we all know people who do this. You all know people who do that. What does the Lord require of us? Do not be that person. Let that be good acting, Joey, but let not that be Joey's life. Let this be good casting right here. Because this needs to be who we are. You don't need to act about the need. Let it be casting. We always say, because Hannah was an actress, and I know, know a lot of people in that industry. And they're like, no, that's not, that's not good acting. That's good casting. That's who they are. We want our hearts to be good casting and bowing the knee. That's you. Good casting. Don, good casting. There you go. That's Don James. Good casting. So we want. We don't want him over here. We want that to be good acting, but not who you are. What does the Lord require of us? That we are not stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. That would be a hard heart. Oh, to have a hard heart, to be callous. To be hard-hearted is, the, is just the worst thing because you become, when you become hard-hearted toward the Lord, you become hard-hearted toward people. And if you become hard-hearted toward people, you become hard-hearted toward the Lord because they go together. To love the Lord your God and love your neighbor yourself. So one contributes to the other. They, they're, they're a package deal. Tender heart to the Lord, tender heart toward people. Tender heart toward people, probably a tender heart toward the Lord. Hard heart toward the Lord, hard heart toward people. Hard heart toward people, hard heart toward the Lord. Because you can't say, I love Jesus and not love people. See, when I first went to the ministry, you're like, I love God, I'm so excited. And then now love people. Well, that's a little hard. I said, I love God. I didn't say, I love people. Well, that's only half the side of the coin. There's two sides of this coin. Love God, love people. And ministry in 33 years of ministry is learning how to love people and asking people to forgive me when they have a hard time loving me and being willing to forgive others when they've hurt us. And I've said this many times. I'm inspired by many people in this church that I've watched forgive great evils against their life. And I am sorry that you've endured those things. And I mentioned um, Zanti's song last week about, I'm sorry, I did the post today. Some of you might have seen it. But um, the first time I heard that song, I, I, I wept right away. It's just a powerful song. I don't know why. I just, it, just, it made me like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just thought of like all the things that people did to me. Like, you know, when the loss of innocence, when you're a kid and, you know, maybe your parents were unfaithful and, you, you know, just things that really, really hurt. There's a, there's, a, there's a point in life when you lose your innocence and it's usually something that really hurt. 
So in this Zante song, I'm sorry, Susan has sung, I thought about all the hurt that people have done to me and all the hurt I've experienced in life. I call them my dead son in my arms, which no one did to me. It's just what the Lord allowed. But I thought of these things. But then, you know, I was, I was, I was going, this is the most powerful song. I, I, I scout songs in the middle of the night. I look for new songs. I'm like, I was just crying on the couch. I was like, this is such a powerful song. And you know what I thought? How many people I've hurt. How many people I need to say, because the song's like, I'm sorry they did this to you, but I need to sing the song, I'm sorry I did that to you. Because I hurt a lot of people before Christ and after Christ, unfortunately. And guess what? You probably have too. We need candor with the Lord so we're not stiff-necked and hard-hearted. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It goes two ways. We're so easy to think like, I believe that we're quick to ask forgiveness for our sins, but a little less quick to ask to help God help us forgive other people's sins. But we have to. And we talk about those three great equities, right? Purity, suffering, and forgiveness. Invest. You control purity. You don't control suffering, but how you handle it molds and shape you whether or not it's an equity in your life or a bitterness. You either get bitter or better. And the New Testament tells us to make us more like Christ. And then forgiveness. If we can just get to, if we have full dementia and almost all of our cognitive capacities, and as the brain disintegrates in various ways that happens with Alzheimer's and dementia, and affects people differently because different parts of the brains break down if you know much about this stuff, but I have learned a lot more in recent years. When there's only a little bit left, may it be filled with forgiveness. Because if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul, even in that day, that DNA of who we are should reflect grace, forgiveness, and faith. Even if you don't know who you are, even where you are, If we want Jesus in every cell of our body and we want his gospel in every DNA of who we are. Because I've been thinking, I used to think, I'm like, hey, I'm ready to be 95. Actually, the more I've been around 95, I don't think I'm ready to be 95. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I used to admire George Mueller because he lived to be 92 and his ministry is a great, amazing saint from Bristol, England, all back in the day. Man of faith. He made it to 92. I was like, oh, it'd be great to be like 92 and wake up and pray and move mountains in prayer when you're 92. But I've been thinking, there's people that get up at 92 and they don't move mountains because they know who they are, what they're doing. But the Lord's been showing me, look, you, what does the Lord require of you today to love with your heart and your mind? And to not be stiff-necked, but to be tender-hearted. And these are things we control. So if we do the right things now, doesn't it seem like it's going to play out fine, just fine, however the journey goes? Billy Graham looked pretty good at 100. Go find the oldest clips you can of Billy Graham at 100. He's kind of shaky, but he's telling you Jesus died on the cross for your sins. <laughs> and that's a, that's a good look. So we have to be teachable. And then the last thing, Winger. So all in, totally teachable. For the Lord your God is a God of God's Lord of Lords, the great God, Mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. That's a whole study we go into right now in 2021. 
That's why we love him, because he never, he's the father of light. There's no shadow turning. And in verse 18, it says, he administers. So this is his administration. Oh, this is the king. It's a monarchy of the universe. This is who we bow the knee to. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the stranger, gives him food and clothing. Look at that. In the interesting verse, God gives food and clothing to the stranger. That is a beautiful verse. I might miss that with my American passport when I'm standing in line trying to show everyone I'm great. I'm really glad that the Lord allowed me to be a pro surfer and travel the world in the 80s and experience many of the things I experienced. I took adventures. I got off the plane in Mauritius for no other reason to go find a good wave that was somewhere on that island, and I met new people. I hitchhiked from Jeffreys Bay to East London back during apartheid, and my friend and I, David Barr and I, sat in the back of a truck with about eight or nine black workers who were going to do hard work all day, and we talked with them. We, we, we like, were in the back of that truck for like two hours, going about 30 miles an hour on a highway in the middle of South Africa. Just me and David Barr with our surfboards, two white kids from Carlsbad High, class of 79 and 80, with these guys during apartheid, talking about surfing, talking about life. I'm so glad I had those adventures because it gave me a bigger vision for humanity. And like I said Tuesday night, I'm so glad God told me to learn Spanish for no reason. Well, it doesn't, I mean, of course, it's never for no reason. But of all the things that you could benefit, listen, let me tell you something. You've never learned a foreign language. This is what happens when you learn a foreign language. You immediately identify with the people. In learning Russian, and I continue to learn it, I, I'm understanding Slavic people groups. I'm understanding Ukraine. I'm understanding the history of Russia. I'm understanding the Russian mindset. And, and you, don't, you don't learn the language for people you don't like. That's pretty unusual to do. The, the motivation is love. So if you're learning a language, you, I learned Spanish for the motivation of love. To tell people that are Spanish-speaking primarily that God loves them and Jesus died on the cross for them. My motives were good. And plus, the Lord told me to do it. But I'm really glad in 2010, God said, learn Spanish. Because in doing so, I just feel a ton of love for the people that come here legally or illegally. Yes, I think they should come legally. But I understand why they do come illegally. And I would too if I had no chance in the world. I sat in the back of that truck in South Africa. Those guys had no chance for anything other than that. There's people we support in ministry, they have no chance. They cannot create an opportunity for themselves like we can in America, they just cannot. There's an orphanage in Uganda that I've been following on Instagram for a few months. Somehow they followed me, probably through Ebenezer and the Ethiopian orphanage we've been a part of for years. And you know, it's like they got like seven followers or something and he's showing these kids, you know, and they have nothing. And he put this thing about needing school supplies. Um, so I DM'd him, direct message, like, hey, hey, you know, like, what's the... And he got back with me. And the Lord said, help him. Don't talk it, walk it. Help this guy. He's a pastor. He's taking care of 30 orphans on his own in a small town in Uganda on Lake Victoria. Do you want to be a part of this fruit or not? Okay, so it's hard to get them money, but there's always a way, right? The wise man scales the city wall. So I find a way to send this money. We sent a test run, $100. This last week with Sam. Goes through, he confirms he got it. Thank you, brother, so grateful. Encouraging words I sent to him. Okay, now let's send more than that. Let's add some a zero to that or whatever. And a day later, he sends me photos of the kids eating their first full meal. And I got a big sign, thank you, Joey Baran. I mean, no, no, it's worship generation. See, I lost my prize already in eternity, but you still have yours. 
You still have yours. They gave me credit, but they didn't give you credit. And you're the way. It wasn't, it wasn't my money. It was WG money. Sam, I sent a picture to my family. My kids were blown away because all my kids are very much involved in these things. I sent it to Sam. He said he cried. He was teaching over at Calvary that day. I just cried. And I just remember he posted a shot the other day. The kids got mattresses, little mattresses. I'm telling you, if you Google that city they're in, you can't just find a way to create revenue and buy mattresses and school books and food. I mean, just to, the opportunities we have here with that American passport, these things we have, they just don't exist in most of the world. It just doesn't work like that. So Jesus has given us a great opportunity to whom much is given, much is required. And that's why the whole world still wants to come to this country. You know, many of the people we support in missions, Calvary Costa Mesa supports in missions, when you read about what they're doing in these different countries, you'll see almost a good portion are involved with refugee relief. You notice that? Tammy, you would know that because you go through that book. I mean, the world's been moving all over the place in the last 10 years. We just sent money to Jeremy Camp's ministry, Speaking Louder. Why? Well, because we love Jeremy, but not just because of that, but because they're doing a new initiative in Lebanon with Syrian refugees have been displaced now for 10 years. What does the Lord require of you? Well, most of us are not going to get on a plane and fly to Beirut with cash. But our friend Jeremy Camp has found a way to be in Lebanon and to bless those people. And we have a saying in giving money because we like to give money. Make it easy for us to give you money. Uganda was hard, but God said, hey, get it done. But now it's in place so we can do it again. Jeremy Camp, click here. <laughs> of course, Jeremy's Jeremy. If you know him, he's, he's dialed in. And just like that, our resources are going to Lebanon to help a next generation of Syrian refugees who have lost their houses. How would you like it if someone bombed your house? How about this home group? How about our home group? What if just chaos came? And we had to flee everything we knew and go to everything we didn't know. And you think Lebanon's any safer than Syria? It used to be the most beautiful country in the world 40 years ago before the Civil War. See, to whom much is given, much is required. And so for each of us as individual believers, we would say, what does the Lord require of us? This third thing is, well, it says he loves the widow. He loves the orphan. We do tons of stuff for both. He loves the stranger. And he feeds them and clothes them. And this is the heart of Christ. This is the gospel because Jesus looked upon the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm glad I've lived to see the year 60 in my timeline because I didn't see it quite this way at 58. But I see it really clear at 60 and I might see it a little clear at 61 next year if I live to see that. We need to see more clearly with the eyes of the Lord, his worldview over his universe. He's the God of gods, Lord of lords, in heaven and over the earth. And he says he administrates justice, and this is what he requires. To love the orphan, to love the widow, and to feed and clothe the stranger. We cannot harden our heart and be stiff-necked towards strangers. And this is the thing about being a friend, like Proverbs says. To have friends, one must be friendly. And Jesus is a friend. Jesus unconditionally came in all those circumstances where he loved on people, met them where they're at, and just served them and blessed them. 
That's the legacy of the church. That's the legacy of our hospitals, the orphanages, and all the things that the church has done for 2,000 years that are glorious. Let people attack the church however they want to from history, but make no mistake, education, uh, hospitals, scientific discoveries, by and large, have been led by men and women who love Jesus Christ and see the king over his universe. They love Jesus. And that's who we are. So what does the Lord require of us? That we love the stranger. That we have a disposition to be kind toward people. Again, my sister being homeless all those years, I learned so much about homeless people. I look to engage homeless people when I see them. Hey, hi. I was with this lady the other day with her grocery cart down there by Dog Beach and She's from South Africa. She still had her accent. I was like, oh, I've been to Durham, been to Durham. I was like, oh, you see it? It was great. It was a great conversation. I didn't ask her how she ended up on the streets. I just let her know that God loves her. And she loved my dogs, my Cavaliers, Spitz and Lucy. See, it's not that hard. We don't have to reinvent ourselves. We just need to let Jesus work through us and be who he wants to be in and through us. We don't have to manufacture something. We just need to be who we're meant to be in the DNA of a spirit-filled life, a spirit-filled woman, a spirit-filled man. We must love the stranger. And this, where everyone in a hurry and everyone not being very friendly, all the more reason for the body of Christ, for us, to practically say this day, I'm gonna love the stranger and I'm gonna make friends, I'm gonna build bridges, and where I can, I'm gonna advance the kingdom. How did the apostles change the world? They went out and loved the stranger. That's exactly what they did. And how they could help and serve, they did. They'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we're Christians by our love because Jesus loves the world. And he is sending us now in a time like we've never seen before to take that message out in word and action. So may God help us to have the vision for how he wants to use each one of us right here in our world, how it can be part of a bigger gospel sowing and reaping, not just through our church, but however God wants to work through you. But I'll close with the thoughts, the words that Jesus said, the fields are white for the harvest, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. It's getting harder to send the money. It's getting harder to go. And that's all the more reason we got to get after it with all of our heart and all of our soul.